Welcome to the Thomas Industry Update podcast, actionable information for industry leaders. Hi, I'm Kathy Mott. I'm Sean Fitzgerald. And I'm Tony Apoff. All right, today on the Thomas Industry Update podcast, we welcome Brian McCarson, VP and Senior Principal Engineer of the Internet of Things Group at Intel. He's devoted his career to designing and creating technology that powers global manufacturing every day. From detecting pixel defects on screens to calculating allowable tolerance on high-speed manufacturing lines, Brian and his team provide the capability to improve almost any process. Today, we'll learn about his journey to becoming an IoT leader, how he works with manufacturing companies to help them accelerate productivity and quality, where to start with IoT in your facility, and his thoughts on the impact of technology on the future workforce. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm glad you could make time to meet with us today. Had a chance to take a look at what you've been working on and really astounding stuff. The other thing that I learned is that we are both anomalies. We've both been with our respective companies for about 20 years, which you don't hear very much anymore. For me, I stayed at Thomas uh, for this long because I'm having a blast. I love working with manufacturers here in North America to help their businesses grow. Also had a chance to build some fun teams along the way and, and impact revenue too. So having fun there. For you, what's made it fun and rewarding at Intel for you and, and uh, kept you there for so long? Well, for one thing, I, I started off my career at Intel working in manufacturing. So I spent uh, my time trying to make the processors that Intel sells uh, in our own factories. And uh, what I found was this relentless drive towards Moore's Law and achieving greater and greater transistor performance with every generation meant there was always something new and exciting to work on. Because every time you hit a breakthrough, well, that's old news. Right. You've got another breakthrough you got to make you know, in the coming months. And so for me, that was a constant cycle of opportunity. And the opportunities of trying to achieve new levels of performance in uh, process manufacturing environments was just phenomenal. And Eventually, after about 14 years or so of doing that in the manufacturing world, I got excited about this new Internet of Things opportunity that was created within Intel and decided to join uh, that team. And with that, I was able to start to explore ways that these things I've been working on for advanced semiconductor manufacturing capabilities within Intel could be applied to other companies around the world and could actually help form uh, emerging business within Intel at supporting manufacturing technological advancements globally. So you talked about moving forward and forward there. At, at Intel, what do they do to help encourage innovation or to drive that innovation? What's that structure look like? Well, there's a couple of ways Intel approaches it. First and foremost, the competitive environment in the semiconductor manufacturing industry is incredibly fierce. So the relentless pursuit of Moore's Law presents plenty of opportunities just trying to achieve that vision in and of itself. Uh, but the thing I love about Intel is there's this, uh, there's almost a sense of pride that is taken in employees that are able to do well in a role, learn from those experiences, and then go apply that capability, those skills, those experiences into another role. 
so rotation and exploring new businesses and new roles within Intel is something that's highly encouraged and appreciated. So for someone like me who has career attention deficit disorder that I'm always looking for something new and exciting to work on, being able to do that in a company that actually appreciates and rewards that is the reason outcome I've been able to stay at Intel for 20 years and not have been through 10 different companies over that same time frame. It's interesting. It's great to hear that Intel's encouraging that nonlinear path. I think that's a way for businesses to help grow talent and high performers inside the business too. And again, to your point, eliminating some of the, the boredom that may come with repetition that way That's if there's right. only a single yeah. career path to continue on. So look, you're sitting at the forefront of everything that's impacting life right now. So we have this pandemic that we're all living through. I'm at home with a green screen. You're at your house right now too. It is a black swan moment across the board for everyone. And we're seeing this in industry and in industrial and manufacturing businesses really begin to manifest itself in the digital transformation, not only on the shop floor where we've seen progress, but also in the front office as well. Um, What are you seeing at Intel? Are you seeing greater adoption here or how are you supporting this? Well, there's a couple ways to look at answering that question. I'll start off first with the manufacturing aspect of Intel's business. We've been pushing towards a greater degree of autonomous manufacturing for many years. So to be able to work in a COVID environment where machines automatically load themselves, automatically unload themselves, they select the correct recipe, we already have a touchless manufacturing process in the aspect of raw materials come in and finished goods come out. So we've been well prepared for the pandemic for well over a decade, not because it was pandemic readiness, but because simply it's cost effective operations and you improve quality and better throughput times through manufacturing, through making a manufacturing environment have an IT like experience, even in the operational technology world. So from a manufacturing perspective, we've been set up for success and we haven't had any manufacturing interruptions throughout the pandemic, in part because of that high degree of automation. Outside of that, like all companies, we're exercising as many work remote options as possible. I'm actually sitting in my in-law's basement right now in a different state because I can work from wherever. I don't need to be in the office uh, at at the moment, uh, as long as I can take calls at whatever time of day it's needed, that's okay. Now, what we're trying to understand that is still a challenge is how to deal with human nature in an environment that's not very human-like. And some of the things that we're struggling with is how do you keep employees engaged and motivated? How do you create and maintain a sense of cohesiveness within the team when the humans can't be around each other and have those same social experiences that we're all used to. So fortunately, technologies like Zoom calls, WebEx, uh, Skype, and others are, are fantastic at creating some of those bridges, but it's still not enough. So we're trying all sorts of new techniques to keep employees engaged with each other, But that also creates a business challenge in terms of how do you keep 
people engaged in your customer base, in your ecosystem, when normally you could just hop on a plane and go sit at a, right. at a partner's office and have a discussion with them. So we're still working through some of those elements as well. And obviously the complexity of just about every country has their own scenario that they're in and their own regulations and rules about travel makes it difficult. But at the same time, to utilize the advice of Winston Churchill, I'm going to do my own interpretation, never let a good crisis go to waste. His quote was actually a little different than that. This is creating an opportunity for us to be more efficient in our business and be even more focused on what matters most, which is how do you deliver the best possible experiences to customers? So in many cases, what we're having to face is what our customers face, is having to find clever ways to have hardware be abstracted so people can get access remotely, finding easier ways to download software and download tools. And we're trying to also extend that to our ecosystem of partners that are accessing end users and say, hey, there's lots of technologies at your disposal that can help make working in a pandemic easier. I agree. And I think it's one of the things, a lot to unpack there with your feedback. I think serendipity has been one of the things that we've lost with the remote aspects of things. Well, I totally agree. Efficiency has gone through the, the roof on it. I can get way more done during the day. But I think that's one of the hardest parts is that, you know, you don't bump into folks walking around. It's There's a lot more structure and plan, I think, right now. Right. I, I think the second part uh, that you talked through on the efficiencies, we're really seeing that take off. And adoption has become much quicker for all form of technology, right, for folks that maybe... Um, had not been as advanced, whether it be in manufacturing or elsewhere, being able to adopt uh, different types of technology and software to be able to get through their day and move forward. I think you also touched on a really important point. The market is coming right at you as far as being a leader in the IoT space. I mean, you were helping folks even before this crisis to set up their plants for high efficiency, higher quality, more uptime, better productivity. And now with the impact of, of COVID, it's become even more valuable going forward. Um, so what what are the types of things that you focus on when you try to bring this type of technology uh, into a, a manufacturer's workspace, whether that's an AI base or a coupled AI, ML, and automation game plan? It's such a great question. The things I try to help enable and coach people on is concentrate less on the individual problem you're having today and think about the problems you're gonna face tomorrow and the next day as well. It's not that hard to go deploy an ML DL solution in a factory on a single machine. It's very hard to do that in a way that's also gonna work tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. You can find a scientist who can code something for a one-off scenario But the kind of variation that people see on a day-to-day basis, machine-to-machine basis, really creates a lot of challenges for hard-coded, rigid solutions. An example, working in factories in Asia that are looking for ways that they can improve automation, we were finding that it's really challenging to deploy vision-based AI solutions without considering the fact that many buildings have skylights. (laughs) And if you're trying to use a vision-based solution and the sun is shining bright, you're getting more photons into your camera, it's changing how your algorithm performs. And on a cloudy day, or if you have a night shift going on, well, now all these other lights are on. 
And that's changing the number of photons going into the camera. And that requires an algorithm adjustment. So starting the process off with the intent of making sure you have a gamma or photon agnostic approach to make sure that if the light gets dim or it gets bright, your solution still works. What that allows you to do is when you have a row of 10 machines in a factory, one in a dark corner, one in a bright area under a skylight, the same model should be able to work across all of those. So thinking about the scalability, thinking about variation in seasons and time of day, thinking about how you're going to have evolving needs over time up front causes you to make different design choices on day one. And what that means is sometimes you have a higher cost of ownership on day one, but the total cost of ownership over the course of six months or a year is dramatically lower. The time to return on investment gets shrunk significantly. And it's hard to even believe this. When I say it to people, sometimes they scratch their head and like, wait, did, what did you say again? We've seen factories have return on investment measured in months, single digit months. Wow. Now, a lot of companies will say any improvement, a, a CFO might have a guideline that any improvement that's shown to have an ROI of less, less than 18 months doesn't even require CFO approval because that's so brain dead <laughs> obvious. Anyone would want to do that. Our ROI is less than 18 months. And the idea that you can go deploy AI-based technologies in a factory with this less than one year return on investment sounds like science fiction just four or five years ago, but that's how much the state of the art has changed. And so we're trying to help coach and advise companies because we're a B2B company. We don't sell directly to end users, right? right? We're, we're all about business to business transactions. But we try to coach the end users and provide them mentoring and guidance and advice about how to make really good choices in their hardware and software to make their factories future ready. Solve problems today, be ready for the future. So I, I think you hit on a bunch of really good points. I mean, inevitably, you're going to reorg your floor, whether that's for a job or for new yep. equipment or other things that you have coming in. Um, so being able to plan in advance for that, I think, is huge. I know that you've also talked a lot about, you know, this move to the cloud and what that actually means. We work with thousands and thousands of manufacturing companies at Thomas. And, you know, just one example I thought of, you know, when I was doing some research to chat with you today was a company that we work with that makes the pins for seatbelts for a lot of uh, large North American auto manufacturers. And they had had an entire uh, camera system set up for quite some time now. And again, it's a highly important part, right? We're saving lives with those. And I had asked the gentleman that owned the, the facility or the, the business rather, hey, did you, you know, did they require that you had to do this because you're working in automotive or is this just something? He said, look, it makes me wildly more productive. I get tons more done. I'm more efficient. And he said, look, I can sleep really well at night because I know I did as much as I could yeah. to make this product the absolute best that I could. If people are trying to think through infrastructure for themselves, do they need to start thinking about how they're going to deploy cloud? Do they need to start thinking about actual pieces of technical equipment or where should they start? What's the first place if, if you're looking out in your facility right now and that you know you need to make this decision, where do people start? It's a great question. And the answer is different in 2020 than it was if you were to ask me the question in 2018. 
with everything else, right? Yeah, exactly. The cloud has become so much more scalable and accessible to a factory than it was before. And the security capabilities have improved so much to be able to have what we describe as multi-tenancy. You can have multiple tenants working on the same server, but they still have their own private places within that that are protected and safe. These capabilities have improved so much that companies two years ago that would have said, there is 0% probability we'll ever let any of our data outside of our factory walls, now have cloud service providers operating within their four walls. And it's because there's been that many advancements. The risk versus reward ratio has improved so much that it just makes good business sense. And the thing I like to think about is where the world is moving to is away from the BlackBerry type phone experience that we're used to 20 years ago, where you get a device, it's preloaded with all the software you're ever going to have, all the apps you're ever going to have. The only thing you get to do is you get to figure out who's getting your wireless bill and what's your email account that's going to get pushed to your device. Right. Those fixed function type approaches still happen today in manufacturing environments. People go out and they buy a point solution that's siloed and fixed function, and it only serves one specific purpose. But the world has moved on towards a smartphone type model where you buy a device and you can change the applications that are running on the device. And if tomorrow you change your mind, you take an application off, you load another one on. That's a concept called microservices. And more and more factories are interested in having microservices type architectures. But these microservices have to be able to work with things like inventory management applications, machine management applications, and still be able to allow you to add new features and functions onto the manufacturing floor. And cloud service providers and technologies that Intel provide are really making this a lot more accessible. And new technologies like 5G are making even more type of microservices capabilities that are previously unimaginable now in the realm of possibility in 2021 and beyond. You hit on fantastic points. I think people often do make decisions that are almost binary, right? This is a yes, no. Will this help this single problem? And okay, I checked the box. I did it. I'm using automation now, right? As opposed to thinking through the long haul and having those microservices really be the building blocks of the game plan that you can adjust and move around over time. So it's an interesting concept that, you know, I'm not 100% sure is being taught anywhere right now, or at least in the most effective game plans that it could be. The building blocks are so readily available at this point. If you have a good idea or, or a problem that you want to tackle, there probably are some pieces of the puzzle that have already been put together that you might be able to use. So I, I think it's trying to pull back. Sorry, we could do this all day and you, you and I will be with a beautiful <laughs> mind whiteboard by the end of it. So I, I think fair to say from listening to you, you know, taking that smartphone analogy that you talked about, and it's almost a, a web app, uh, an app development mentality here is what we're going to start seeing yeah. on, on the shop floor there too. So yeah. moving forward, well, hey, 
Brian, it's been great to have you with us here today. We always like to wrap up by asking leaders that are clearly having extremely successful careers and building massively impact, impactful uh, businesses. What, what are the habits that have helped keep you successful? We're big process and system nerds over here at Thomas, and we love trying to dissect, you know, really what the habits are that, that make folks successful at the end of the day. What's helped you, whether it's organization or, or anything else? A few leadership principles are, are important to me. The first is not being the person with the answer, being the person with the best questions and trusting and empowering those who work around me to be the innovators for developing those answers and giving them the benefit and satisfaction and trust to be in that role. The second is, you know, and you asked, you know, what, what do I do every day? I, I believe in if you take care of the people around you, that will take care of the business. And those people are your customers and your partners. If, if every day you make sure you don't drop your laptop or your phone until you've addressed every customer issue or partner issue that you're facing, and you've taken care of all the, the issues that may exist for the people that are working for you, uh, those are the best things that a leader can possibly do to, to help their organization, their employees, and their ecosystem be successful. And uh, ultimately, as nerdy as I am, <laughs> And as proud as I am to be a, a card-carrying geek, it's really not about the technology. It's about the problems you can solve with the technology. And trying to treat every problem that a end user has as an opportunity is, I think, essential for viewing the world with an optimistic lens that uh, you can really make a pretty tremendous impact with you and your team when you're, you're focusing on trying to improve everything you can around you. But with that customer first mindset, I, I try to live by. I'm not saying I'm perfect yeah. at it by any means. I have a lot I love to it. I'm, there, but it's what I aspire. I'm definitely taking these ones back to the, the teams. Be the person with the best question, right? At the end of the day, that fits into everything for your customer, customer success, customer experience, and, and really driving the business forward too. Brian, thanks so much for coming to hang out with us today. I had a blast. I hope you enjoyed as well. Um, My pleasure. I had look fun. Look forward to uh, catching up with you guys again soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Thomas Industry Update podcast. Let us know what you thought of today's episode or what you'd like to see more of by emailing us at podcast at thomasnet.com. To learn more about Brian McCarson's work with Intel on Industrial Internet of Things solutions and how to bring Industry 4.0 technologies into your facility, check out the links provided in the show notes of today's podcast.